Welcome to Onward, the podcast where we explore social innovations and chat with the entrepreneurs moving them forward. I'm your host, Daniel Weinsman. Welcome back to the Onward podcast. As we begin to emerge from our COVID constraints, we're stepping into a world ripe with opportunity. Expedited by the stressors COVID created, we're all more aware of just how inadequate and fractured our systems are and what do entrepreneurs do but better connect broken systems and solve problems. Yet, things seem to be increasingly polarized, so what might seem like a solution to one is seen as a further deterioration of the status quo to another. In this environment, at this moment where possibilities for system upgrades and improvements are ubiquitous and the need is mushrooming, tools to solve our challenges have never been more accessible or cost-effective. We have a unique opportunity to begin doing business dramatically differently. To do good, to do well, and begin alter our foundational systems, our operating assumptions, and our critical infrastructure. And that is where we find today's guest, applying a win-win-win solution to a needed sector, renewable energy. And in doing so, this company is reshaping the narrative to draw divergent parties together and redrawing the incentive structure to ensure immediate self-interest is aligned with the greater good. I'm excited to bring to you today Aviv Shagli, CEO of Solar Simplified. I'm what a lot of people call, and I hate that phrase, I'm a tech entrepreneur. Um, so currently working on my third startup after two successful startups before um, with uh, pretty nice exits. Um, and currently I'm the founder and CEO of a startup called Solar Simplified, um, which is trying to bridge the gap or connect, I would say, everybody and anybody in this country to solar energy. Um, but through a product that looks like a coupon or a gift card, a discounted product. So first and foremost, customers get a discount on their monthly electricity bill. Um, and only secondary, the second way or the second goal that we're achieving this is through renewable energy. And so why are you passionate about renewable energy? I think I started the company actually not from the renewable side, but from the savings aspect. So we started the company back last summer. So in the midst of COVID, a lot of people, including you know friends and family around the world, are being furloughed. You know, some people are laid off, and it just came to me that we're all, you know, in a, in a difficult situation, and maybe there are places you know, industries where we could build something or develop some sort of a, of a product or a service that could help people save a little bit of money every month. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of my greatest idea or, or, you know, vision that I wanted to achieve. And after I, I my previous startup, uh, which was in real estate technology, um, was acquired, that was like really before COVID hit the US, end of 2019, I was networking a lot. And just to pass the time, there's a lot of these, you know, in, in the beginning of COVID, there were a lot of these startups that will help you connect in with people on Zoom on other types of platforms. Um, and I was just having a lot of phone calls to try to see what's out there and, you know, pass my time. And I started hearing 
randomly from people in the solar industry that there's a very big problem around revenue management, around risk, around um, um, figuring out how this industry needs to work versus how it's working today. So most of the solar and renewable energy in general in the US and in the world is actually sold B2B to corporations. It's not sold to us as people. Um, consumers, small businesses, renters don't have access to this type of industry. I mean, if you're a homeowner and you live in a sunny area and you have enough money that you want to lay down for this, then you can put solar panels on your roof. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about 10, 15, maybe 20% of Americans, for example. What happens with everybody else who don't have access to putting solar panels on their roof? So in our minds, you know, we wanted to bring up a solution to provide solar, to provide renewable to the other 80% who, who don't have access to it. And we wanted to make it easy enough so people won't even think about it. It's, it's like a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm getting a discount, even if it's a few dollars a month on your bill. You know, it's not going to be, nobody's going to pay your electricity bill for you. Like, though, you know, money doesn't grow on trees, um, at least not trees that I know of. Um, I but you have to ask the federal government <laughs> to print a few trillion dollars and they do it. Right, right, right. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know the, the folks over there, but um, at least not yet. Um, but we did find a way that if we're, moving or helping this industry move from the B2B model to a B2C model, you suddenly create a lot of value just just wasn't there. You know, if you're thinking of corporations, corporations are very good at negotiations. They're good at squeezing the price down when they're buying any type of product. And, you know, that's the the right thing that they need to do for their investors and their shareholders, obviously. But you and I as consumers, or, you know, renters or small business owners, I can't call the utility here in Chicago, the utility is called ComEd. I can't call ComEd tomorrow morning and try to negotiate my price. Like this is the price to, for everybody who lives in Chicago. I can maybe try to look, you know, in some states you can go to private companies, suppliers who might give you a better deal or not. But with the utility, if I don't want to switch to a different supplier, there's nothing I can do. I'm locked in with whatever price they figured out with the regulator, like the governor and you know the other um, you know state regulatory uh, entities. So what we've said, I don't want to go through this hassle if I'm going to be a customer of Solar Simplified. So what can I do, you know, and what can I have my team do that would make this simple? Again, that's why we chose the name. We chose the name Solar Simplified in order to simplify because energy in general and solar is very, very complicated. It's very convoluted. Um, and nobody's really trying to explain to people what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so the way we came up with this is in order to make this simple for consumers, it needs to be something simple. And the simplest thing we could think of is a coupon. You see that it has a negative number. There's no positive numbers and nobody can scam you. Um, on it, it's, it's pretty kind of self-explanatory. Um, now in some states, that's our vision, that's our goal. In some states mm. that's allowed, so we can actually put a coupon on your bill. You don't have to pay anything. You don't have to think about it, just see it. You know, you see how much you're being charged by your utility. And suddenly you see at the bottom, a coupon 
solar simplified credits and you see that it's in there and that's it you feel good about you know supporting renewable energy in your state it has to be close to you a um, few hundred miles at most and you're saving money so it's a no-brainer in, in other states it's a little bit more complicated so it looks like a gift card not like a coupon so we will give you the full benefit of the credits and we will charge you less for those on the back end. Um, and we're in the process of speaking with the regulators in order to make that go away and move to the coupon method. Um, but, you know, regulators, as, as they should, are working slowly because they want to make sure, you know, consumers are protected and everything is legal and so on. So, so it's a process. So um, which states are the, the friendliest to operate in as it stands for, for Solar Simplified? So New York is our first state that we launched in. And the regulators there, I have to say, are awesome. Um, we have a monthly call with them of a few hours, us and other folks in the industry, where we're br just brainstorming ideas and bringing things to the table. And you know, assuming folks on the call, industry, utilities, and the folks from the regulators of the state agree on something, or at least there's a majority, mm -hmm. okay, now we're going to actually bring a bill to be passed and to be discussed formally. Um, and I think that's, it, it, it's definitely an amazing state to operate in. And in most of the places that were, you know, most of the, let's call it the solar farms, the solar power plants that we have in New York state, um, the, the customers do see it like a coupon, not like a gift card. We have a small handful of, of folks on the gift card uh, side, but we're moving into, you know, the coupon method. So the customer doesn't even feel, you know, the subscription that they have of Solar Simplified. Um, there are obviously other states as well. We launched in New Jersey fairly recently in central New Jersey. Um, and we're in discussions, obviously, with the regulators there. It's a very new program for New Jersey. So a lot of New Jerseyans are skeptic. They're not really sure what this is. And is this legal? Where's the scam? Right. How can I get money without doing anything? And it's exactly the same reason why we, what we talked about before, the corporations would have negotiated the price. You can't negotiate the price with the utility. So if we're splitting that difference between all three sides, the customer gets a portion as a discount, the developer or the owner of, the, of that solar farm, solar power plant gets a portion. So they make a little bit more money and we take a little bit of fee in the middle in order to facilitate all of this because uh -huh. you know charging credit cards costs money or charging your bank account costs money doing the billing doing the operations so everybody makes money it's really you don't come across too many startups that nobody has to pay for but are that are making money yeah and and so this is what you know kind of got me passionate about it when i figured out this kind of anomaly in the market um so, so how do customers hear about you? Is it from the utility company? Is it from the person who owns the solar arrays? Yeah, so we actually do our marketing directly to consumers. Okay. Um, and we're stepping between the, the, the asset owner, the developers of those power plants, between them and the consumer. Because these guys, you know, they're construction people, they're energy folks, you know, some financers. They don't do sales and marketing, especially not mass market. Mm -hmm. um, and so 
you know, if it wasn't for us, most of these, I don't want to generalize, obviously, but most of these, as, as anybody can Google and see statistically online, um, most of them would still, still stay in the B2B um, kind of marketplace. They would go to the corporations that are in the area where the solar farm is, and they would reach out to them and they would sign up one or two large customers and get it over with. Um, with us, we're basically telling that developer, don't go to a corporation, come to us. We'll be your one-to-one connection. So you, you don't have to talk to a thousand customers yeah. in order to run, you know, run your, your operation on a day-to-day basis. We'll do that for you. And by doing that, first of all, you're reducing your risk. You're not putting all of your eggs in one basket. What happens if that, let's say if it's a factory, what happens if that factory, you know, God forbid, um, you know, goes bankrupt or they're struggling because something happened with their business? You just put all of your eggs in one basket, Mr. Developer. So you should come to us, even from a risk perspective, not just from a revenues perspective, you should come to us. Now you split your eggs into a thousand or 2000 or 10,000 customers. Sure, maybe somebody's not going to be able to pay on time or something like that. But it's a drop in the bucket. It's not going to move the needle and, and the risk goes down tremendously once you aggregate a lot of people together. So it, it's interesting hearing you talking about the, the one-on-one high touch being kind of central to your model. And I, I, it makes a ton of sense, especially right now in this age of distrust of institutions. That being said, to, to really move the needle on some of the, the climate concerns that many of us have, we're looking for these like projects at scale. So I'm yes. wondering where within the renewable energy sphere you're seeing successful implementations of alternative energy at scale, whether it's solar, wind, wave. <laughs> yeah, um, it's definitely a good question. Um, I think that we need to look at it as, as you know, taking steps in the right direction. It's not just one giant leap. Um, and so, yes, in the last, let's say, 20, 30 years, most of the discussion around solar specifically has been on rooftop solar. And it's definitely make, made a dent. You know, I think a few percents of the U.S. Uh, energy is being produced by, you know, rooftop solar panels. Mm-hmm. That's great. But again, it's 10%, maybe 15, 20% tops of Americans can put solar panels on the roof. What about a solution that's going to work on 100% and not just that, you know, top 10, top 15, top 20% of people who are homeowners and live in a sunny area and have a roof that's not too old and you can build on and have enough money to actually spend? Exactly. It's a funnel and and. All of these requirements reduce the size of the funnel and the amount of people who can actually go for it. So by telling people, hey, it doesn't matter if you're a renter or a homeowner, if you have a roof or you don't have a roof, maybe you live in a high rise. That roof is tiny compared to however many tens or hundreds of people who live in that high rise. Um, So all of these people, you don't even have to think about the panels. Somebody else is incentivized because of this business model to go and put the panels in a rural area a few hundred miles away from where you live. So they're generating more jobs because 
there's operations, there's labor, there's construction, there's obviously administrative work around this and permitting and you know, legal, et cetera, et cetera. So you're generating some jobs by actually supporting this industry. It doesn't hurt you because you don't actually feel it. It's not outside of your window. It's usually in you know, the rural areas of the country. Um, and you're saving money because of this. You don't even have to invest. It's not like you, I'm asking you to give me $10,000 and you're gonna buy a portion of that solar farm. Those businesses exist in a few places in the US. It's not very vast. Um, I don't ask you for anything. All I ask you is to sign up, to support, and, and we obviously um, you know, need to go to the utility and go to the regulator wherever you live and say, well, this person, Abib Shalgi, is supporting this specific solar farm in his area. And that's why we're allowed to put those discounts on your bill. Um, so you know, you're telling also the regulators, the politicians um, in your area, hey, this is important for me. I want to support this. I want to generate more jobs. I want to support you know, renewable and have a cleaner air to breathe and things like that. So you know, for us, we're kind of helping to take that first step. There's obviously companies out there, um, you know, the major energy companies in the country who are trying to build not a solar farm for, let's say, a thousand households, but they want to build it a hundred thousand households at a time. The, the margins there, first of all, financially are not very high. It still works because we're in a very low interest rate environment. And so it's worth it for these types of companies to go through, let's call it, not very, not very profitable endeavors because otherwise, you know, the interest rates are not gonna, you know, provide them with anything. So, would that still happen ten or twenty years down the road when interest rates goes up? I don't know. I, I really don't. Um, but but more than that, you would want to see like a second city outside of Chicago or New York City or Los Angeles or something like that. If you want to create things, you know, infrastructures that support hundreds of thousands or millions of people, those things take a lot of space. And most people don't want those, you know, to take a lot of space in a general area because you want the cities to expand. You want to have those options. And you also don't want to, you know, when you're driving down a highway, you don't want to see the same thing for half an hour driving. Um, if you do it like a, like a chessboard, a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there, it doesn't disturb you as much. It loses definitely a little bit of the economies of scale for sure, because you have to do a thousand households here and 2000 households there. You have to kind of build it um, as time passes, but you generate more competition. More companies can build small solar power plants or wind or anything like that versus the very few who can actually build the huge compounds. So there's more competition. More competition means more companies. More companies is more jobs. It's better rates, better service for consumers. Um, and I, I definitely am a very big supporter in like the small to medium size, not the super, super large sizes. Um, 
And what, because what, what I hear you talking to is uh, kind of building resilience in the our energy infrastructure. If we don't have these mega fields that are subject to, let's say, something like a, a strange weather event, which needs <laughs> to happen, that we can be a little more resilient in the face of whatever comes at us. Exactly, exactly. If, if you want to think about it, it's kind of almost like portfolio management. You know, if you have your 401k or if you're an investor in stocks, you wouldn't hear anybody who's, you know, right in their mind and, and knows a little bit about, you know, finance um, and, and personal finance. You wouldn't hear anybody telling you, take all of your money and put it into one stock. I mean, you can, but the risk is super high. Like if the stock goes down, you're in a bad situation. Energy is exactly the same thing. You don't want to put all of your eggs in one basket, whether that basket is just one compound and also whether it is just one way of generating energy. You don't want an entire state to be reliable on solar. I mean, it wouldn't work. The moment that the sun sets, all of us go dark. There's no more energy. Um, and you don't want your entire state to be on coal or natural gas or oil or wind or anything else because we're seeing what happens, you know, in the last few years um, in, in some states, um, you suddenly see blackouts because the portfolio of energy wasn't managed in a way that it's balanced enough that, you know, if one place goes down, you have other places that can pick up the slack um, and, and kind of bridge that gap so people don't have to sit in the dark. Um, so 100% with you. So, so most renewable energy projects have seems to be made possible by government subsidies. Do you think this is going to continue or are we going to reach some inflection point where green energies become self-sustaining? I think we're roughly there already. Um, um, renewable energy is not per se you know, super, super profitable, huge margin, something like that. I mean, we're talking at the end of the day about assets that are going to be here for decades, 20, 30, 40 years. So no investor expects to get, you know, a 50% return year over year, you know, in these types of very solid assets. Um, so we are seeing, you know, some pretty good returns in solar, in wind, in hydro, um, in other types of, you know, of renewable energy. Um, and different places around the country and around the world can support different types of renewable. Um, um, you know, wind, for example, works a lot better in the ocean or, or on top of mountains um, versus, because the wind streams are much stronger versus let's say outside here in Chicago. Um, even though it's the windy city, um, the winds are not as strong as they would otherwise be, you know, let's say on the coasts, for example, or on top of very tall mountains. Um, so it's definitely getting there. I mean, listen, we, we've been working on, the world has been thinking of renewable energy for what, 40, 50, 60 years, something like that. Um, we've made tremendous, tremendous, uh, uh, you know, advancements around um, efficiency and uh, costs of manufacturing and costs of supply and things of that nature. If, if, if we talk about solar specifically, 
the solar panels used to be over 50% of the cost of building a solar, solar power plant, um, 50, 60, 70, 80, and above. Today, it's less than 25%. Most of the other gears, you know, inverters and the pan, and not the panels, but the, 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 the metal bars that hold the panels and obviously paying for labor and getting all of the permits in order, things of that nature. Um, it's not that they have gone up. They've gone up maybe slightly, you know, with inflation, but the cost of panels has gone down two, three, four, five X. Wow. Um, and, and the same goes in other renewable industries as well. So we're definitely getting there. I think if we want to move faster, you want the government to help support this. Um, because if you just leave it for the industry to go by itself, things take time. If you want to entice, whether you're a local government or the federal government, if you want to entice companies to do this quicker, because you care about renewable, you care about people's health, you care about creating more jobs, um, then I would say the government needs to not necessarily just incentivize and put subsidies on things. They need to, first of all, figure out how to make this process simple for these types of companies to go through the process of finding the, the locations, getting the permits, figuring out what's legal, what's not legal. Gray area is bad for business. You want to know as a business owner, this is okay, that's not okay. Um, and I feel right now, the federal government has made some things you know, possible in, in past administrations, but it's always better if you can streamline the process if you can put the right individuals, now again, whether it's the federal government or all sorts of governmental agencies to be there to help find those locations, figure out what's not going to be problematic for consumers and constituents, like for all of us as citizens, um, and safe and affordable, um, and kind of have that resilience, as you mentioned before, on the grid as well. So, so what types of policies are supporting the transition of our national energy infrastructure to more renewable, regenerative resources? What's helping incentivize, expedite? So uh, on the federal government level, there's a few, um, not necessarily subsidies, but, but tax breaks for companies that um, want to build you know, uh, renewable uh, power plants in general. Um, and there's a very similar tax breaks that us as people get too. Um, you know, if I'm going to put solar panels on my roof, there's all sorts of tax, tax breaks or faster depreciation and, and, you know, accounting tricks, if you want to think about it in order to incentivize people to do it. I think that, you know, especially these days with the new administration, they've been definitely discussing a lot how they want to push this forward. I think all of us are waiting to see how. Uh, they want to move this forward. Um, most of the regulation is actually on a state level and, and the county level and, and city level. Um, and so different states and different areas, uh, different municipalities have different ways of doing business. Um, and I feel that we're definitely getting there. You know, we're improving. The, the, the very early laws 10, 20 years ago were very, very strict and rightfully so because nobody knew what this is. Nobody knew what the lifespan is going to be. Is it going to be profitable? Is it not going to be profitable, et cetera? I think nowadays people know. 
what the shelf life of a solar panel is, how much energy it can produce. Companies know how much they can pay, let's say, to buy a land or to lease a land to do this, and how much they can pay in taxes to the local municipality, how many jobs they can create, things of that nature. Um, but I think if instead of, you know, I've had this conversation with a few new locations, new municipalities that, you know, heard about us and wanted to ask some questions. We currently don't work with the municipalities directly. And, um, you know, we partner with the developer and the developer chooses the site or chooses the location of the power plant. Um, and they kind of asked us, what do we think? And do we recommend or we will not recommend things of that nature? And we usually don't take a stand um, for or against anybody specifically. We're for the idea um, because I can't recommend everybody. I don't know everybody. Um, but I think that a lot of places first, the, the first answer, if they don't have a renewable, uh, you know, power plant in their area, the first answer is first, no. And then if they see some persistence from these developers, these companies who build these places, these power plants, if they see some persistence and, and, you know, some engagement, then they might say, okay, let's talk about it. Let's ask questions. Why do we need to start with the no? Start with the, let's talk about it. Let's try to think if this makes sense in our town or our municipality. Do we have rural areas to put this in or not? Um, maybe, you know, if it's a tiny town, it doesn't have a lot of room. Maybe you can go to the next town and, and we can facilitate that connection because, again, the, the, the distance that these power plants can um, support, we're talking about hundreds of miles. Um, further away. So, you know, if I live in downtown Chicago, it's not like the power plant needs to be in downtown Chicago. It could be somewhere in Illinois, a few hundred miles away from Chicago, you know, in an area that nobody's using. So in my mind, what we should all ask is not, how are they going to screw me over? It's how are we going to, you know, create more jobs, help save our planet. And, and, and I think also, most importantly, help all of us save some money. You know, a lot, some people are interested in green. Not everybody. You hear a lot of, you know, climate change arguments online, you know, Facebook and Reddit and places like that. And I mean, to each his own. I, I, I'm not here to preach or to tell anybody that they're right or that they're wrong. But who's going to say no to saving money? Right. I mean, that, that's the biggest thing here. If we do this correctly and at large enough scale... All of us are just going to save some money, even if it's just a few dollars or $10 or $15 a month, We're talking about a hundred, 200, $300 a year. It, in my mind, that's substantial. That's something. Yeah. And what, what's so exciting to me about your, your vision and your model is you're helping people do right and do well so that they can save and do what in my judgment is, is the right thing, supporting renewable regenerative energy sources. But to I make it practical- I completely agree with you. Yeah, so there doesn't have to be the same trade-offs. So you've said so much that is, uh, <laughs> has been educational, inspirational, but I'm curious, what, what keeps you up at night about the, the current state of solar energy? <sighs> Oof. Um, I mean, obviously, how can we expand? How can we, first of all, as an industry, not just a solar simplified, how can we support more people? 
um, more people here in the United States and also, you know, how do we go to other countries around the world? Um, and it, it does keep me at night because you do see, especially from the resiliency point, you know, from, from reducing the risk for all of us from these blackouts, um, we have to keep pushing, you know, to have more renewables, but also more diversification of energy research, energy sources in, you know, your state, your county. Um, and those are things that, you know, I'm just a small entrepreneur, you know, I'm not the governor and I'm not, you know, the president. Um, and, and in my mind, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm bothered, but it does keep me up at night to try to think about how do I and my team, how are we able to drive this conversation forward so that more people are interested, more people are asking questions. Um, because once you start the discussion, you're going to hear different, you know, different thoughts, different, you know, ideas. Um, and in my mind right now, the discussion is so polarizing. It focuses just on climate change. And if you believe in climate change, you're for this. And if you don't believe in climate change, you're against it. We don't need to be so polarized. There are a lot of other aspects, not just, you know, the climate change itself. Yes, it generates more jobs. Yes, it saves people money. Yes, it prevents, you know, our lights from going out. Um, there are other, a lot of other benefits. So how can we start this discussion to not be that polarizing? I don't know. Yeah. But I'm, but, but I'm here and I'm trying to, you know, come on this show, for example. And again, obviously, thank you for inviting me. Um, and, and go online and write blog posts and, you know, things like that. Just to educate people. Just to tell people there are other ways that you might not know about. You should just be interested. If you read about it a little bit and you don't believe in it or you're against it, okay, good for you. It's a, it's a democracy to each his own. Mm -hmm. Every person can think what they want to think. But if you don't know that something exists, you can't necessarily support it. Um, and so that's what I feel we as an industry have to strive for. I, I really appreciate that. And kind of going through my Rolodex of research or understanding about the energy industry, it, it seems so polarized. And yet what you're speaking to is these nuanced narratives that really pull on different incentives that, you know, human behavior runs on. Right. So I, I'm excited to hear that you're, that's the approach to languaging it, to telling a different story about this important work that needs to be done. Right, right. And especially these days, I mean, if you can just create jobs, why not? Yeah. Literally, why not? Especially these days during COVID, you know, it's, it's, there's so many different, as different aspects to continue developing this industry. Um, it's not just labor, it's manufacturing and, you know, taxes and accounting and legal and finance and marketing and sales and so many different stuff that can go around this industry that in my mind, just doing that, especially these days, is super beneficial to society. And then if you can save money, oh my God, that's amazing. And if you can clean up the planet, well, that's even better. Yeah. 
So I'm curious, in talking to a bunch of different people in different sectors, you hear different things about the impact of COVID. Oh, it's been a, a blessing in disguise or it has decimated us. I'm curious how it's impacted the energy industry. Has this been a good thing? Has this been a terrible thing? Somewhere in the middle? Um, I mean, personally, I think it's terrible. I mean, I've, I've had, unfortunately, friends and family who passed away because of COVID. Um, and, and I have colleagues and, and acquaintances and people from the industry that I know who have really suffered because of this. So, you know, on a personal note, I, I think it's terrible. Um, uh, I, I can understand, I can't say that I relate to folks who say this was a blessing in disguise, mm-hmm. um, but I, I do see er- specific areas in the world, not just in energy, where it did advance, you know, things, uh, um, you know, work from home, um, I know the, the, the dispersion necessarily of, of jobs, you know, you don't have to live in the major metropolitan areas anymore, um, at least to certain areas of the industries. Um, I think in energy specifically, um, we did get a hit because a lot of the energy industry as a whole, not just solar, is, you know, revolves around labor. And once you need to start making sure that people are social distancing and people don't take a health risk when they come to work, things of that nature, you have to slow down. Because if you had a construction crew of 50 people and now you have a construction crew of 10 people, it's going to take you five times longer to finish you know, building whatever power plant this is or servicing or anything of that nature. Um, so I think my two cents, I don't have the statistics for it, but my two cents would be that the energy industry got somewhat of a hit, um, or I would say a hit in, in a disguise of a delay. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm sure you're already seeing a lot of companies have rebounded. You know, many people have all also gotten vaccinated so they can get back to work. Um, and so I think the industries that require face-to-face communication definitely got a hit. Um, places where everything's online, obviously it was a little bit better, yeah. so. Well, well, thank you for explaining that. And I, I just wanna take a moment to acknowledge the loss that you've incurred this year and that so many others, listeners, my family, it's, it's real. So yeah. I just want to, my condolences. Thank you to everybody. And, yeah. and you know, we should, we should definitely stay strong and try to get through it as, as quickly as, and as best we can. And much like energy, we're all in this together. We definitely are. are. So Aviv, you've got important work to do. I don't want to keep you too much longer. For those interested in learning more about your work, how they might be able to benefit from it, be a customer or advance their own municipal policies to invite your shop in, (laughs) what should folks do? Where should they go? Um, so obviously, I mean, the, the, the first thing I would challenge the listeners to do is go and read online about, you know, about their area or about their regulation in their municipality or their state or their country if they're outside of the U.S. and, and try, to, try to be interested in this topic. Um, obviously, I'm inviting every, everybody to go on solarsimplified.com. Um, and take a look through our website. We have a lot of informational material, not just about us as a company, but also about the industry and some videos to help understand how this is actually all working. 
Um, and if you're interested, feel free to put your details. We'll reach out back to you once we're in your area. Obviously, folks who are in New York, uh, New, Jer New York State, New Jersey, um, and kind of the East Coast, we're inviting all of you guys to, to sign up and start saving some money with us as well. Um, and even if you're not living in the East Coast, um, put your details. The way that my team is focusing on expanding throughout the country is mostly from where we hear people are interested in this. Um, so, you know, if we see more people in Illinois, we're going to come here to Illinois. Um, if we're going to see more people in Colorado, we're going to go to Colorado, etc. Um, so feel free to leave your details if you, if you didn't hear the name of your state or your region, um, you know, online takes 20, 30 seconds at most. Um, and obviously, if anybody wants to reach out to me personally, um, my, my information is on LinkedIn, Aviv Shalgi. Um, and, uh, you know, you can reach out to me directly. I'm happy to answer any questions. Excellent. Any last words or calls to action before I let you get back to your work? Uh, no, thank you very much for having me. It's been a real big pleasure. And again, I encourage everybody to, to be interested, to be curious, to ask questions, and to, to try to learn a little bit more about this industry. Thank you so much of you for forwarding this work in our communities. Thank you very much for having me, Daniel. Solar Simplified is one exciting model of how we can design, no, redesign incentives to create powerful platforms that make access, transparency, and mass adoption of renewable energy possible. By matching renters, homeowners, and small businesses who care about the environment and who want to save money on their electrical bill with solar farms throughout an easy and transparent sign-up process, Solar Simplified is making renewable energy accessible to all. It's entrepreneurs like Aviv who are creating the new normal we've been jawboning about for the last year. Keep an eye out for Aviv and his team. They're leading our communities towards resilience, our nation towards sustainability, and saving you some coin along the way. It's this type of win, win, win design that can and should be how we approach the myriad of system disconnects we seek to mend in the months and years ahead. Find out more about Aviv and all of the work he's doing at solarsimplified.com. Thanks for tuning in to the Onward podcast. It's your support, it's your feedback, it's your comments, it's your suggestions that are really driving this show forth. So if you've got any comments, feedback, questions, suggestions, connections, you name it, feel free to get at me at dweinzveg at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Daniel Weinsveg, spelled the same way. If you're enjoying the show, give it a like on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Make a comment, share it with somebody you think could be inspired, turned on, informed by the conversations we have here. A little social engagement on this weird technology mainframe goes a long way. Before I go, I'd like to give a big shout out to my dear friend, Jay Lately. Jay Lately's music is the soundtrack to the Onward podcast. So if you dig the tunes that's behind the music, the, the intros, the transitions, that's all Jay Lately. Check him out on Spotify. He's been doing this work, following his heart, inspiring folks with his poetry, his words, and his passion for over 10 years. So once again, thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, onward and upward.